0: N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash W-T-F <laughs> All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, Nicks? What the hell? What the fuck? <laughs> what? What did I just do? What's happening? This is Mark Marin. This is my podcast. This is W-T-F. Thank you for for joining us, for joining us all here this morning. I am sitting, right now I'm, I'm in transit, or I'm about to be in transit. Just wanted to get this, uh, this done before I took off because you never know with air travel. But I'm sitting in a hotel room looking over the uh, city of Tallahassee, Florida. I'm looking out, I don't know into what state. I don't know if it's Alabama or Georgia or, or deeper into Florida the air and the sky is crystal clear very lush very green Tallahassee is not a, a large city so just beyond the city it looks like nothing but woods and uh that makes me nervous but uh I'm here up oh, squeaky chair all right I'm sitting it sorry folks just just bear with me let me just get that out of, out of the chair system we have two guests on the show today Well, I mean, there's the the traditional, when I do it this way, there's the short interview or the shorter interview and then the long interview. Today, uh, Nick Thune will be uh, here with us again. I haven't spoken to Nick in a while. He's got a special coming on soon. Uh, It's a new stand-up special, Good Guy. It's available on CISO and Amazon. Uh, You can also check out my full interview with Nick on episode 189 of WTF, and that's available on Howl. Go to Howl.fm and sign up for a premium account. Nick's a good guy. We always get pretty deep pretty quick in a specific way that I don't usually get with other guests, so uh, it was good to talk to him again. But the other guest, the longer interview today, is my old buddy Jonathan Daniel. John Daniel and I go back, way back actually, to New York, mid-90s, when he had... uh, hit the wall after being in a hair band in LA and was in some sort of a horrible accounting job in the music business. And, and, and he went on to create a very big, um, music management, uh, company crush management where he handles, uh, you know, people like Weezer, panic at the disco, fallout boy, Courtney love, uh, Sia, but, uh, when I knew a man, I didn't know he didn't know what was going to happen, and it wasn't looking good. So it's a really, it's great, and we haven't talked like this probably ever. And it was uh, it was great to see him, and great to talk to an old friend, but also great to to hear the whole story because you know when even when you know people for for decades almost, uh, you don't always know the whole story. So yeah, I'm going to talk to John Daniel uh, and Nick Thune today, and I'll tell you, man, if you spend you know a minute and a half. On any social media platform, you just assume that uh, you go out into the world and everybody's yelling at each other or everybody's full of hate or everybody's like uh, there's no possible way for us to uh, communicate with each other as people. It's just nothing but uh, suspicion and contempt out there. And so and this it works my brain. I don't have the greatest personal boundaries or the ability to insulate myself emotionally that well when I take shit into my eyes. When I eat shit with my eyes, it affects my brain and fucks my heart up sometimes. So, a little paranoid. But I get down here and you know, I'm trying to, you know, I, I like to engage with the city. I check into the hotel late at night and uh, check in with the news of the day, which did not help me sleep. And I get up and, you know, and just uh, go find some coffee. Found some coffee that the city does not, did not seem very uh, booming but I might be in the downtown area I don't know this is the capital of Florida and then I you know I'm trying to find some healthy stuff to eat because uh, you know it's, it's weird you know when you're thinking about a possible impending apocalypse and carbohydrates it's it's a tough place to be you know one of them has to give and uh, I thought it would be the carbohydrates I thought it would be the uh, the shitty food but I somehow managed to uh, find the fortitude to go out and find some decent uh, veggie food in Tallahassee. So, uh, you know, I, I, I took care of that. So I honored my fear of dying from uh, a clogged heart. <laughs> the pending apocalypse fear uh, persists. But uh, God damn it, I'm going to go out and uh, in, and eat myself some uh, reasonable protein and some, you know, not so fatty. So I got to go find some tofu in Tallahassee. Yep, there's that chair. Sorry. So I find a place online called Soul Veg, vegetarian soul food. And it looks like it's about a mile away, so I'll walk it. And I walk and I'm looking around and there's not a lot of people on the street. But I don't think there's a lot of people on the street in general. It's a huge college here. FSU is here in the gig that I performed. Last night is is actually at the college, part of their opening night series. Segura was on. Tom Segura was the night before me. Nice little twelve hundred seater place, from what I'm told. And uh, well, so I take a walk. I go out and walk, and I come to this little strip mall. It's always weird to walk in places that are, you know, you can tell are fundamentally driving cities. Well, most cities are, I guess, but uh, you do feel a little isolated. And when you see someone walking towards you from a half a mile away. You have a lot of time to think about how that's going to go. But I walk, say hi to some people, friendly face, not from around here. How are you? And I walk to this vegetarian place, Soul Veg, and it's this great little place. And I got uh, curry tofu, brown rice, collard greens, yams, cornbread. It was awesome. Excellent food. And it was quiet. And it was, uh, you know, it was a a little... uh, I don't know who owns it, but there were some interesting pictures on the wall from uh I they they seem to be uh, from Africa actually, I believe. and I'm just eating and having a juice and I'm still not you know quite comfortable and I'm not really sure what the temperature of the area I'm in or how things are gonna go because I'm living in a bit of fear in my mind. And then over at the next table from me, you know, I see some you know older people, a little older than me, maybe in their sixties. One dude had a long, gray ponytail, and you know, down south that could go either way, in terms of uh, disposition. And then I saw another older couple there, and there was a certain, uh, the woman was wearing a certain type of sandal that led me to believe that uh, well, maybe uh you know maybe they're we're, we're like-minded or at least they can give me the pulse if they're locals, and you know I just want to know what the You know politics of the area were, so I know what I'm walking into, and you know the, you know what what, what's the general sense of the population here. I could have done this online, but why not do it hands on? Why not just engage? So I eat, and then I just walk up and I say, "So you guys seem like you're you're talking a little little news, little politics. You're you're you seem to be from around here. What's the story here in Tallahassee?" And we sit there and we talk about uh, you know what what Tallahassee is and what the surrounding areas are and they tell some stories about where they're from. A couple of them are from uh, from Georgia, and the other, one of the guy, the uh, guy with the ponytail, is a local photographer who does some uh, amazing portrait work. And uh, it was just interesting. It was just interesting that to to kind of get out of the world of uh, you know online you know insanity and out into the world of real life and just casually uh, impose yourself on people to have a conversation about what's going on. And then I started, to, you know, when I was sitting there in this little, you know, uh, soul food, vegetarian restaurant in a strip mall in Tallahassee, I pulled my chair up next to some people I didn't know and just talked a little bit about the world, about the news, about politics. And it was, uh, it was nice. And then I started to think like, wow, is this how we're going to be talking Every, all of us of uh, a certain ilk is this where we're going to be? Just uh, kind of quietly uh, huddled in a corner, talking in a small restaurant, in a in a strip mall, in places. You know, looking at each other, going like, "Is it okay? Yeah, you, are you okay? Is it, can we talk here? Yeah, we can talk here. Just turn the sign on the window to closed, and let's have a conversation. Is this what discourse is going to be? Is that how it's going to go? That was the dark vision." But then like I get to the show and, uh, got this local kid opening for me, Austin man. He did a good job. We packed the place out. 1200 people did an hour and a half, uh, did, uh, you know, talked about everything that I'm feeling and everything that's funny and some things that aren't funny that I made funny and it was a great show. And I, I think it was appreciated. I appreciated it. And, uh. Onward we go. So I'm leaving Tallahassee today and uh, going back to L.A. for a little while. Might take a little vacation if possible. I got to check out for a while. All right. So Nick Thune, you know, we go back a bit, not that far. He's younger than me. But uh, the first conversation that we had got very into his faith. And uh, it was a unique conversation for me. And it was respectful and good. And it turned out that this little conversation we had—it went there. It kind of got there pretty quickly because we were checking in. I haven't—I haven't talked to him in a long time, uh, but—but he's a good guy, and it was—it was great to talk to him. And and again, his stand-up special, "Good Guy," is now available on CISO and Amazon. And this is me and uh, Nick Thun.
1: it's been a long time buddy been a long time since we talked on here (laughs) yeah that was i think in your first hundred episodes was it i think so or like maybe right after so much has happened you've you've got a beard you got a kid yeah new man yeah how old is that kid three how's that going I picked him up at school really yeah he had a big (laughs) when i picked him up they go hey we do need to tell you i'm like oh god (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they go, and then I realized he's got a huge gash on his forehead. They're like, he um, was riding the car over there and he flipped. He rolled the car? <laughs> he rolled the car and uh, they iced it. They checked for yeah. the concussion. Everything seems fine. Yeah. Is he a bruiser, yeah. that kid? Is he? Not really. No? No, but he. Didn't I meet him briefly? You've met him twice, I think. Actually, we you flew behind us on a flight from Austin. Uh-huh. And you said after, I, this is like, you know, a quote that I'll put on his website someday. <laughs> you kid. said, he's actually a good kid <laughs> because he didn't cry. And I remember being pretty nervous that you were going to be pretty frustrated if he started to cry.
0: I, it's weird, dude. Like, not having kids, like, I'm not a cranky guy about that shit. And it doesn't it doesn't affect me. I mean, I've had ba- crying babies. Like, I imagine if you live with a crying baby, it probably can really be grating. But, like... I don't, I'm not one of those people that's like, ah, fucking kid, first class. I just, I, I, you know what I don't like? People who fucking snore loud. Yeah. I can take a baby crying for an hour or two more than I can take some asshole just snoring. And that's even more vulnerable and armrest,
1: Armrest or people that immediately want to talk and you can tell that you've got to cut them off because it's, you know. I don't talk to people. I don't know if I put off the vibe, but I generally, I really haven't in years, I have not done the sort of like, we're in the air, we're talking thing. But you've had a unique experience before, I would assume, on a flight with a person sitting next to you. You know when it
0: happens, and it's just a weird thing, and I've noticed it over and over again, I could not say a fucking word other than excuse me uh, to get out if I'm unfortunate enough not to have the aisle seat Mm -hmm. uh, for the entire flight. And then right as we descend, literally minutes before we land, they're like,
1: so what do you do? You know, like the conversation starts- It does there a lot. Isn't that weird? Sometimes it's right away, and sometimes it's right there in the end. Right. It's so bizarre. Yeah, and you're like, oh, I was really looking forward to just like checking texts right when we land and not having to talk to you. Yeah, getting right out. I I had this moment, though, where I was flying from like upstate New York to Boston on a really small flight. Propellers? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And this woman- um, Right as the plane starts to speed up, I feel her hand. It, she puts her hand on my hand. It's an elderly oh, yeah. woman. Yeah. And I look over and I just think, okay, you know, and I, yeah. I, hold, I hold her hand and then we get to the top and she said, thank you for that. Um, it's the first time I've, <laughs> I've flied since my husband died. Oh my God. I'm and I to, to cry. Like, I, I think I did cry. <laughs> <laughs> I, think I did. But it was like, you know, that was worth it. Oh you know? my God. That was, that had a punch to it. <laughs> I'm all choked up. <laughs> I kind of wish I could have that on every flight. What? Oh.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, flying is a very vulnerable place for some people. In in people a people get drunk life. on flights. Oh no! Yeah, I know. I've heard stories. I have been fortunate lately. Knock on wood that. Uh, yeah, I've, you know, f- travel's been pretty easy. I haven't there haven't been any incidents. I haven't mm-hmm. found myself furious. Uh, I, I, it's been okay lately. I've been paying more for comfort. And oh, definitely less interaction. That's the one thing. Like, I don't buy much. And, uh, you know, I don't know living and mm-hmm. I don't have to worry about dependence
1: at this point. So like I'll fly first. I don't give a fuck. I feel like everybody I'll... gives you most things except probably your shirt. And yeah, maybe, maybe, you, maybe somebody gave you that too. Not this shirt. Your fans love you. This pants. No, what I do is I take everything from wardrobe. Oh, like yeah. I did
0: four seasons of my show. If I hadn't done four seasons of my show, I would have had five shirts and
1: two pairs of pants. I've never been able to do it until these, I just did these Dell commercials and they let me keep all of it. Dell computer? Yeah. Yeah. They gave me a Dell too. Really? Do people still use Dells? Yeah. What? No kidding. I guess- You'd a, be surprised not everyone's an artist <laughs> who lives in- In, in Apple fields. land? Yeah.
0: No, but like there's definitely, I, I guess it's what you, I, I've always assumed that there are some businesses that
1: require PCs. I don't know why- most. most. Yeah. Oh, that's the deal. I mean, I don't. I was just thinking this the other day. Somebody next to me had a Dell. Yeah. On a flight. And then I realize I don't. That's all I really see, unless I'm in like JetBlue first class, the L.A. to New York flight. Oh come on! Now you know you're drawing lines. You, you're telling me you don't see Macs or iPads. Not a, or iP- not a lot on planes. I, I don't. I feel like I see like Samsung devices. You know, like people have like PCs, like Fire. Stuff, right. Yeah.
0: I think I. I kind of think you're right. When I mm-hmm. see people actually working on a plane, it's usually on a PC.
1: Yeah. So you did some commercials. Yeah. A bunch. Yeah, they yeah, they I mean I think now it's been 2 years I've been doing them. You're the guy? I mean I'm their uh I guess I'm a what they call a celebrity spokesperson although I You're think, the Dell guy? I think the word celebrity is pretty
0: but do you say your name, or are you just like the guy that's? They in all They said my name in the
1: last ones. They they, act, did? they added it to the script, and I I was talking to my friend. I was like, "Do you think I should say not like I don't want my name in it?" He was well, like, it's not Why like not?
0: it's not like Nick Thune for nuclear energy. <laughs> no. so, yeah. Like, hey, here's yeah. a reasonably priced yeah. computer. Uh, yeah, you you're gonna get knocked down a few hipster. So yeah, well, they're probably uh, using your beard
1: as yeah, cachet. Beard, yeah, they're like, yeah, we gotta let's let's make these uh, PCs hip. Yeah, it's the first job that I've had where I didn't walk in, and they were like, "Do you mind shaving?" Or they were like, "Hey, you mind not shaving? We want to use that for our brand." So, how long? When did you shoot this new special? What's it called? It's called "Good Guy." Good Guy. Actually, well, here's why I text you, because I, I don't. You, this is the second time that you met my son. Was at the cafe around cafe the corner. Cafe de Leche. He's a little man then. But yeah. Well, he, this was what I thought was so funny is you. You know, we we're in there, and I was just stressing about the special because CISO had given me an offer to do it. And, oh right! And you know, it's that thing of like, it's something I've been working on for years. And do I take this offer or wait? Or I don't really know much about CISO. <laughs> or and my son was back in the corner in that play area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you sat down with me, and the first thing you said was, "You're definitely, you should do it. If yeah. somebody's going to pay you for this, do it." Yeah. And then as you were telling me this, my son. Dragged from that back corner, a small chair, yeah, with a juice in one hand, and set it at the table with us. And you just were staring at him, <laughs> just kind of in awe that yeah he wanted to take a seat at the table, <laughs> <laughs> dragging it like a kid in a schoolroom, just right, the right. loudest screeching noise. And then he 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 was a little man at the table. He is a polite little man. Yeah, he says I I taught him something that I shouldn't have taught him because had a steal. <laughs> Well, lying. I taught him how to lie, and then that really kind of turned. No, on the way home. They learned that on their own. He was crying. He's like, I want to watch a a cartoon. And I go, hey, how about if you stated it like this? What if you said, hey, Dad, wouldn't it be a good idea if when we got home I watched a cartoon? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And then he said that, and I was like, yeah, that's a great idea. Good idea, Towns. Yeah. We'll do it. (laughs) Towns. And now he does that with everything. Wouldn't it be a great idea for me to have a cookie right now? Oh, (laughs) Oh, his namesake. His name, boy, I hope he... He
0: doesn't honor that legacy, maybe creatively. Well this but is not LA. lifestyle
1: wise. I was at the park in Glendale. Yeah. And this guy with his daughter was like I was like, Hey Towns, get over here and the guy goes, Your son's name is Towns? And I said, Yeah, and he goes, After Towns Van Zant I'm yeah. like, Oh, here it goes. Yeah, I know it. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And he said, Well, that's crazy because I manage his estate. <laughs> I was like, What? <laughs> and he's like, What's your email? I'll send you an unreleased song. So you're a big Towns fan? Yeah. I'm I'm just fascinated by him and some some of his history and also just his guitar his like Travis picking style and Oh yeah? I love that stuff, yeah. Are you
0: getting pretty good on the guitar?
1: I think I'm getting worse actually. Really? Well, this whole special I don't play I I stopped playing it, you know, taking it on the road. Wait a and, minute. What? News flash. So no guitar this one no nope. it and it was uh the, I use it for a couple minutes in the middle when I'm mocking a youth pastor kind of a bit not really mocking but well what is a this little. is there is there a through line to this thing you say you worked on it for two years is it just stand three, up? three years three yeah, years it's it's two stories and then the middle is kind of a prelude to this TV show I'm writing about a church um thing where it's like what I you know kind of my thought on on hip youth pastors essentially. Uh-huh. because I heard this youth pastor this really famous well, I'm not going to you know, say his name, but he opens a sermon up with yeah. in front of thousands of people with millions of views with the line, I'll never forget when I was five years old and I got lost at a grocery store. Have you ever felt lost? Hmm. And it just drove Did me. Did hands go up? Insane. Yes. And it just drove me insane that you could take this like non-memory and equate it to people with deep spiritual issues, you mm-hmm. know? feeling lost or you know and i just kind of like thought like it's just the thought of christianity kind of having this sort of mediocre element to it when it could be so much stronger because i just think i don't know and it's not even ripping on that it's just it seems simple it seemed like a simple thing to but it annoys you yeah you thought it was uh, a cheap hook yeah which, uh-huh. I mean, I can, I'm sure you could kind of pull my stand-up apart and say the same no, thing.
0: No, no, but I mean, like, you know, as we discussed in the, the last episode, you know, you're a Christian dude that, you know, at the time I talked to you last time, you were having some uh, mild crisis of faith.
1: Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, you're still engaged, apparently. Yeah. It, it, didn't, uh, it didn't push you out. Well, I did the Tonight Show last week and did the youth pastor bit. And uh-huh. the next day, I... I got some, you know, it was like the most the biggest thing I'd ever done response wise and on both sides. The Tonight Show. The Christians, yeah, people that loved it and then Christians that thought I was mocking them, but then cool Christians that were like, yeah, all that stuff is so true, it's so funny, you know, like Right. And then people that don't aren't involved with the church that kind of related to in some way, but I emailed the producer. I was like, hey, man, I I I was curious if you guys are getting any backlash. And he goes, yeah, if you mean by letters from the Christian Defamation League all morning, yeah, we are. (laughs) And I go, well, if you need to take it off YouTube, that's fine. And he's like, no, we love it. This is great. Any response is great. (laughs) Really? Cool. Interesting. So it was provocative to people. But see, Christians have such a loud voice. You know, they and they and they they will be heard and it and i, I respect that I,
0: they seem to have uh, a lot of them uh, there's a very uh seemingly uh grassroots movement of people that uh, appear to have a lot of time on their hands
1: <laughs> seems that way <laughs> well the show that i'm writing for abc is called well we were going to call it holy shit but abc was like well that's not going to happen right right because <laughs> um, it's a workplace comedy at a church but it got announced in the trades and immediately these these christian websites like filed petitions to send disney to change the name they dug out like they, holy shit was filed yeah oh, okay like they were just like you can't say holy shit like you know this petition and they referenced stuff that i said in your podcast and stuff that i've even said in other podcasts really like, because i think at some podcast i have referenced this like verse in revelation where the lord says you know either you're hot or you're cold because if you're lukewarm i'm just going to spit you out of my mouth you know and right and and i said in some thing they were like so what kind of a christian are you and i was like probably the most lukewarm (laughs) christian like god probably wouldn't want to have anything to do with me but maybe that means that he would actually maybe care more about being around me i don't know yeah it seems Wait, who are we to know yeah so that that got people worked up yeah, they're they're building a
0: dossier. A guy admitting a, that he has flaws really got people worked up. Interesting. Yeah, the, the entire religion's based on that. Yeah, you'd think <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's why sin was a, the 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 notion of sin was invented. Yeah, is to realize that uh, we we cannot be perfected. We are flawed, and you have to uh, you know keep these ones in check if you can.
1: Yeah, and the, and and I guess it was you know it's like the same it's a towns vanzant lyric and i think done over and over but there ain't no dark until something shines you know it's like there is no forgiveness if there is no sin so cuz you know the whole progression of the special is wanting to be good which you know essentially means that i'm not yeah <laughs> and um and the what what really wanted me to be good was my son you know that, yeah. that makes you want to live longer just so you don't hurt them with your death at, right it's too young of an age wow you were thinking that before it even came out oh yeah huh i mean i quit smoking uh-huh just ways that i could be a dad for longer I right guess, you uh-huh know? which what i never I think... thought about before uh-huh. but, but yeah in the end it's about this doctor that um the story of finding out that it was a boy yeah he told me it was a girl and i i looked at the screen and said isn't that a penis and at a real hospital in Los Angeles yeah. he said if he, if he thinks he looked at my wife and said if he thinks that's a penis i want to know who got you pregnant <laughs> <laughs> he probably used that joke so many times yeah uh, <laughs> other uh, other comedians have gone insulted? to this guy yeah yeah i mean not only that because i was i want i wanted a boy for some whatever misogynistic you know whatever uh-huh and then we went to another doctor it's not misogynistic a later. for a man to want a son it's just it is what it is yeah yeah a month later another doctor he was like you know my wife had we'd gone through so much to where she, i was so caught up in what this doctor had said and and then turns out it is a boy mm-hmm. that other doctor was just an asshole and uh-huh. he was calling the shots way too early
0: so you get you had a healthy son
1: yeah and
0: uh and and what is what are your primary struggles now around because like the last time i talked to you which is years ago uh, your struggles around uh you know whether or not you're good or a good christian were really selfish Mm-hmm. and And kind of
1: lifestyle struggles mm-hmm. what 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 changed with a kid? Well, I stopped worrying about that as much mm-hmm. um I think that that was a the progression of of not caring about what people think, especially from that perspective of the church and right that that took a long time, but eventually it was just like yeah why am i who why am I trying to keep on good guard you know or, or impression with them or yeah. But now it is like, you know, this morning we went to, I was telling you, we went, we were going to look at houses Yeah. and, and uh, my wife said, you know, in the mornings you're, you have a tone uh-huh. and towns ask me if you're angry sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And it's been a widely known thing in everyone in my family forever that you just kind of give me an hour in the morning, you know? Really? Yeah. I need it. I yeah. need to like. What are you feeling get when ready. you wake up? i think it's like the most depressed i feel oh I really think, yeah i think i feel like, like wait here we go again wait on the shoulders of the day yeah here <laughs> I am i doing enough yeah is there more you know yeah. um on I, all levels and i have really dark dreams i think that's also the social media thing i need to stop because you know I'm, i kind of go down these holes and like i just have these dreams that are just horrible yeah a lot really yeah and uh I, went, I did see a doctor about it for a while. And then every now and again, a good one will pop in. I'll feel good again.
0: Yeah. Know, like, surprise. This one's going to be fun.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I do a thing where I wake up a lot in the night and then have a radically different dream again and four times in a row. Like bad one ones? Yeah. Bad. Really? You know, and just things like, I can't help my son. He's lost. That kind of stuff. Yeah. So just my like dad's panic. dying. Panic. Yeah. Fear. Things out of your control, Nick. And I had this really bad one that I'm sure people will interpret and- this might lose my show on abc Who knows? Mm-hmm. where i walk into my childhood bathroom yeah my mom is sitting on the edge of the tub and yeah. she's distraught and yeah. she looks at me and she says why did you do it and that's it and i wake up <laughs> oh my god <laughs> that's great <laughs> it's, it's that so- one hurts and well, that's yeah, like because once every couple of years because it's so vague. <laughs> yeah, and but you know, but you know, you did something. I've been wondering. It seemed like it's pretty bad. <laughs> it seems like, but I think that you know, if you really
0: take dreams for what they're worth or what they're saying, it's a, you know, it. I think it's a representation of your own, you know, self doubt. I mean, like you know, it's like almost like a, a confirming thing mm-hmm. that you know here you have the woman that brought you into the world with no real uh, other information other than like. Well, what the? What'd you do? What's wrong? How? Why would you
1: do? Why would you do that? What's wrong with you? Well, and I'm so sensitive. Uh, and this morning, when my wife said that on the way to this first house, and we finished the first house, and we get back in the car, and she's like, "Why are you being so quiet?" And I go, "Because you told me I'm a horrible dad." And she goes, "That's not what I told you. I said you're grumpy sometimes in the morning. Yeah, and- I do that too. You you you've interpreted it. Yeah, it's gone through. <laughs> it's gone through the Nick self hatred interpreter. Yeah, yeah. And she uh, seems just- to be getting more and more." like far apart from what people are actually saying sometimes.
0: Well, yeah, I find that too, that like, you know, my interpretation of what's being said is so informed by my own insecurities, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, so, every time. Right, and that's that's a problem because, you know, you're not, you know, it, and my girlfriend's brought this up, it's like, you know, we're not having the same conversation because you're projecting all of this stuff mm-hmm. that's coming, it, you know, she didn't say this, but I realize it's coming from my own ideas of who I am. Like if they say something that reinforces my negative
1: ideas about myself, then uh, they're part of it. Yeah. Well, you, I wake up in the morning and I know that I'm grumpy and I hate it. And I'm like trying to find options for, you know, what's well, a yeah. better routine. So when she mentions that, it's like, I thought I'd fixed it.
0: Well, I, I thought- <laughs> but, but why are you putting all this on yourself? I mean, isn't that, it shouldn't, uh, shouldn't Jesus be picking up a little slack?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're going to probably get a lot of letters from the Christian defamation. League I doubt it. guess No, I mean, this
0: is an open, honest conversation. I don't know what, I don't understand if any, if we talk about anything, anything we've said here, if they send emails, it's like, what are they sending emails about? But what, where is the, the practice of your faith at this point? Do you guys go to church on Sunday?
1: No, mm. no. And and my mother-in-law told me this summer that she wants me to pray with my son at nighttime. Yeah and i said that makes sense yeah i should and and it's a pretty fun experience are oh, you doing it yeah okay yeah and he says some pretty interesting stuff he thanked god for his daddy's beard the other night <laughs> 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 i love how every, every the two times i've every time i've come in here it really goes down this interesting religious conversation which i like i think we did all right Hope I think that's how we ended the last one (laughs) I think I said last time I was like oh man I'm insecure about that well and you know I don't I mean to name drop but and I got a after doing the last one I got some really nice messages from some cool people that I just that just you know I didn't know that about you that's really cool and but Anthony Jeselnik sent me a text that said if all Christians like were like you I wouldn't hate them (laughs) (laughs) oh he's a devil (laughs)
0: Well, congratulations, man, on on having a healthy son and, you know, being okay and earning a living and the marriage still working and still working on your relationship with God.
1: It it seemed good. Thanks, doctor. Okay, buddy.
0: (laughs) See, that was nice. Good to see Nick. Good to have the conversation. Good that he's doing okay and that, uh, you know, his family's all right. You know, I I don't know. It's nice to check in. It's good. It's good. Again, his uh, Nick special, Good Guy, is now available on CISO and Amazon. Now let's get to my buddy, John Daniel. So John and I lived in New York at a time back in the day, mid-90s, when uh, I was married or almost married. I met him because he was a friend of my manager's. And this guy really, you know, I, I was a little late to the party back before uh, the internet was as popular and as intense it is as it is now, and there really is no late to the party. The party is ongoing and can get pretty shitty, apparently. But uh he filled in a lot of areas of my music education and turning me on to music and 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 you know, as a musician as as well, you know, and you know, just telling me stuff about music that I didn't know, turning me on to a whole world of bands, but also being a good friend. Uh and we, you know, it's not like we have lost touch, but we're not we don't have the time we used to, and we don't really talk as much as we did. You know, hardly we don't talk much at all. But I love the guy, and it was great to talk to him about his story and about music and about you know his place in the music industry. Now it's pretty fascinating. Smart guy. Uh, it was great to see him, and uh, and I think you'll I think you'll dig it. I, I think you'll dig the interview. This is me and uh, Jonathan Daniel talking in the garage. <laughs> all right john i guess what what we got to do here is we got to like there's some gaps <laughs> There's a there's a slight gap from uh from when i knew you in new york and then like i don't know maybe you were worried about me thought i'd slide off the grid and then the next thing i know you're the hugely successful music manager and uh and all of a sudden i was like what you own a, a bar <laughs> you know, like i feel like there was some sort of 15year gap we can get to that but i guess i want to establish at the beginning that you know i've known you for i guess what is it 20 years now
2: yeah that sounds about right
0: does it 95-ish yeah
2: that sounds Just, yeah it is like 20 years that's crazy right? yeah <laughs> right yeah it is
0: so i've known you for like 20 years when i met you you were a, a washed up musician and i and but you would you would tasted it you had yeah. tasted fame
2: yeah you. yeah when you you met me at definitely like a low <laughs> right
0: but like but the thing that's amazing about our friendship is that at the time you know i i was sort of stuck in a rut musically in a lot of ways and like i you you taught me we'd have these yeah. discussions sort of like i don't get power pop what is, yeah. what is what is pop what i i had this blues based idea of music And I just couldn't wrap my brain around the difference. And you were like, well, there's a a fourth chord. There's a minor chord. And then there was a B minor chord or something like that. And I was like, that's it. That's the key. Changed my whole life.
2: Well, it's like a, it's a, you know, there's like the Beatles and Stones divide. And you were definitely Stones.
0: Right. But I liked the Beatles, but I just Uh, didn't understand what came from them. I understood. I remember it was like, I get Elvis Costello. I know the squeeze, but right. There was a, it was a, it was about a minor chord. Yeah. Right?
2: It's about minor chords. It's just like a minor instead of those, in a, it, you know, it's instead of going like E to D. Yeah. You know, you would go E to C sharp minor.
0: Right. And that, and because I was a guitar it's, player, I was like, oh, there's a whole world out there I just don't get. <laughs> and that's when you turned me on to like Cheap Trick, and I was able to make the replacements connection and, and, and categorize some of the bands I did like as pop bands, and then, you know, move into that whole other world. That was because of you. Yeah. That, right, thank awesome. you for that. But let's go back, because you were in the, I think at that time, your biggest claim to fame that anyone would know would be the band Candy.
2: It would be the Gilby from Candy. Gilby Clark that right. joined Guns N' Roses.
0: Right. But Candy yeah. had its day, didn't it? Yeah,
2: yeah. We had we had some moments. That's actually how we met. We met because your manager at that time Dave was- Dave Becky. Dave Becky was a big fan of Candy.
0: <laughs> right. and we And that was in the 90s, so I was not married yet, but I was living with Kim- Right?
2: That sounds right, yeah.
0: And I was living on 16th Street, which yeah. is around the corner from you. It's three blocks. I right. was on 19th. And Becky thought, thought we should hang out. You were kind of hanging around with Becky a little bit, and you saw you knew some of the comedy stuff, but you weren't all in. And then we met because you told me the other day, what was it? Cause uh,
2: it was so, it's so dark for me. <laughs> 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 it's a, it's a, there was a time, then I'll, I'll, I'll borrow your joke for it, but yeah. there was a time, you know, I had had like three record deals, and I had this thought that oh, maybe music's not going to be right for me. Maybe I'm not going to be an astronaut yeah, when yeah. I grow up. And uh, a, ah. you know, a girl who liked my bands had given me this job at Sony, right? Uh, doing accounting work, and oh yeah, it, it was horrifying. And and so when Becky and so I could get a discount on right. CD right. players or DVDs or something, and so Becky was like, oh, call my friend; <laughs> he'll get you a discount. And I was like. Oh God! And so I think I probably gave you like I have this memory that's fairly embarrassing of me giving you like my CDs and like maybe articles I'd written, going, "Hey, I'm not the g- I'm not the guy that's an accountant, you know, just trying yeah. to like just." By my own way into credibility,
0: <laughs> right? And what we, I remember going up there, to the Sony building, and you came down from your office. I don't remember going up to that office, right? And you met me in the store, right? Right. And I, I think I bought one of those um, mini disc recorders. That
2: sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah,
0: because there was like that was what the instead of a cassette recorder, that's what be, right, we, we, we were using.
2: That would have been something that would have been worth getting a discount on, if right? It was like four hundred dollar, right. Yeah, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Also, the connection was. That we were in Hollywood at the same time, I think.
2: Yeah, definitely. That
0: we started talking. You were, when I was out here doing drugs with Kenison, you were like down the street.
2: I was, I was at, I was sitting in the audience while you were doing drugs,
0: <laughs> watching Sam. <laughs>
2: That's
0: As I, was, right. I was backstage, you know, uh, cutting up lines for him because you were the band was Candy.
2: Yeah, there was, there was a big thing with like that era of music. Yeah. To go to the store, like it was like a boon of stand up comedy,
0: right? It and, was all connected, then, yeah, because of Sam, really.
2: Yes, yeah, he was definitely like the lynchman, but Dice, right, to an extent as well. And just like there was, I mean, there were so both periods, both the 80s period, and then when we hung out in the 90s with all your friends, those are like real, like pinnacle eras of comedy, completely different,
0: right. Yeah, no, I and that was what I think why we started to become friends is I I knew you were sort of beat up, I was kind of beat up. We both had chicks, and we needed to do the couple thing occasionally. <laughs> that's right. And you were three blocks away, that's so right. It
1: was, <laughs> so
0: you and Renee would go out with me and Kim. Was great because you and I could talk, they could talk, and it just it was what you were supposed to do. That's right. <laughs> so you're a bass player and a songwriter.
2: Right. So yeah. So I grew up in Berkeley. Yeah. I was, grew up a hippie. uh... My father was a left wing radical. Now he's a right wing radical. <laughs> David,
0: what's his name? David Horowitz. David Horowitz. Yeah. So people know him, right. I remember that yeah. was compelling to me too. Yeah. It's sort of like, how
2: do you live with that guy? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, so he was, you know, he was a left wing radical. He, he was the editor of Ramparts. And then he. Uh,
0: Which was a big kind of left wing rag at the time, right? Like in the right. late 60s, early 70s?
2: And then he, you know, he was a big supporter of the Black Panther Party. Right. And he had, there was a. You know there was an episode or an incident or whatever you call it where he had uh recommended one of his friends to be the bookkeeper and uh they killed her and that's what flipped him right and sort of like basically he's an idealist, yeah and then his ideals flipped the other direction,
0: yeah well, I mean i, I think that the, yeah, there was idealism and there was sort of like uh the the grand world view and then when it came right down to to action uh you know that can get pretty scary yeah especially when what they just killed her for how that happened i
2: think they killed her because she realized that they were running guns and drugs yeah you know because she was the bookkeeper and she was like hey wait a minute like oh and that was your dad's friend yeah
0: and that just that was it yeah from then on out it it was the other way
2: because i think you know i think that there was probably like a lot of Incredible about the Black Panthers and a lot of real bad about the Black sure. Panthers. Sure, yeah, you know? I mean,
0: yeah, my girlfriend reads about it too. There was, yeah, there was definitely a lot coming at them and a lot within the organization that was.
2: It's so hard, like you, you know, it's like being like super famous. It's like being Kim Kardashian, right? But with like an idealism. So they may have started out and been like incredibly right, but as you get so famous and people are attacking you, right, it's and hard the, to know. Like, and also, are they're,
0: they're trying to. to to kill you from the inside. Yeah. They were like always being penetrated, right, by those agent provocateurs and people that oh, were starting. Yeah. So your dad you know, came yeah. up in that craziness in, in, in the Bay Area in the 60s.
2: Yeah. So so I grew up like that. And then when punk rock hit, I was like, oh, I want to be in a band, right? So, right. So I sold my comic books. I went to LA and New York. You were a big
0: comic book guy?
2: When I was 12, yeah. I sold my <laughs> Spider-Man so I could buy like a bass and a keyboard. And, and you didn't I- know how to play. No, I didn't know. anything. <laughs> I, I don't know if I still know how to play, <laughs> uh, but uh, but you know it was punk rock. So like seeing the Ramones and the, and the Clash and the Pistols, I was like, oh, I could do this. You, you know? didn't see them live though. Oh, I saw all those bands. Yeah, in, very early in on. in San Francisco. Yeah, I really. Saw, I saw the Clash as w- one of their first gigs in America at the Temple Beautiful in San Francisco. Yeah, definitely like made me want to play music. Yeah. The, I saw the Ramones at the Keystone Berkeley opening for Earthquake. I saw the Last Pistol show at Winterland. So yeah, I was super into it. And I went. I took my paper out money and I went to London, New York, and LA. You know, cuz I was like, well, I can't be a, in a punk band in Berkeley. Right. <laughs> you know, not it, for th- a few more years. Yeah, not for 10 years. If I'd been 10 <laughs> years later, I would've been friends with Green Day and Rancid, right, but right. <laughs> but this is 78, 77, right. so right. I went there and uh, to where? To L.A. first. To yeah, I went to L.A. First. and you like 18. No, I'm 16.
0: Oh my god! Did you drop out of school?
2: No, no. I was I was like I was a good student, so I was getting a college scholarship and all this. But I knew what I wanted to do. So yeah. I went to London. It was like the summer of punk. That was incredible. New York was like terrifying. Just walking in the Bowery. Late seventies, seventy seven. So that was it. Yeah, nothing but junkies. You know, I was just like, oh my god, I'm going to die. And I went to L. A. And there's like a giant billboards of Warren Beatty and shampoo. I'm like, oh, I think I should be here. This thing's good. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I, uh, you know, I got a. I got a scholarship to UCLA, which yeah. paid for me to live, and that's yeah. Moved to LA to be in a punk band, and then I started going to the. What s- were you
0: going to the school for?
2: S- to pay for me to be in the punk band. You, but
0: you weren't majoring anything.
2: Oh, I mean, sure. I may, I, I graduated, you, but with uh, what? I was a good student. Yeah, you know, I was good at taking tests. So I was economics, sociology. But you it's yeah, all bullshit maybe. but it must
0: have done something school No, it must have sunk in those seem to be you know relative to the guy I know yeah. and I didn't know any yeah. of this
2: I, th- I probably so you, it probably all you know it's all a path right
0: it's so funny because you and your brother uh, are sort of like you know geniuses. Yeah, like Some things <laughs> like you know, what he he invented Netscape, right?
2: His his so his partner is really a genius. Oh, um, so he's my good brother's at sort of being like friends me. with geniuses, yeah. He's well, like, you know, or <laughs> his facilitator, speak you know, helping them, like helping the genius come out, right? <laughs> you know, he did all right, so, yeah, yeah. So my brother's wildly successful. Yeah, he's got this VC company that we basically do the same thing, except he has like. I deal in millions, and he deals in billions In the opportunities. <laughs> He's
0: dealing with tech companies? Yeah. And you're dealing with rock and roll people, right. music people. Yeah. All right, so you go to LA, you're 17, you're you're at UCLA.
2: I go to this club called the Starwood every Tuesday and Wednesday. It's punk night. Yeah. Like, you know, Darby Crash, and the Bags, and the Germs, and Fear, and these bands are playing, and I walk into the Starwood one of these nights. This is my favorite thing. I go see all, every, every Tuesday and Wednesday, I go... And one night I walk in and there's this Nikki Six standing there. Yeah, and I went, I want to be that guy. <laughs> Fuck Just punk, standing there be... with his hair out. I was like, wow, well, and he looks like Johnny Thunders. Yeah, and so I grew my hair, and that was like the start of that era of you know, hair the, metal. Yeah, hair metal became like it became such an exciting, crazy time. There. So that
0: so that that was a time where punk was sort of arcing out and and rock was redefining itself because i mean like this is post Aerosmith it's post all that shit and these and New York <laughs> Dolls i guess
2: Hair Metal was was well metal and rock was like persona non grata right it was uh this is 79 when i moved to LA so it's really just uh it's at that time in LA what's happening is stuff like the knack right and it's like post punk very new poppy wave. Yeah. yeah new wavy, cars ish right. kind of stuff so
0: that created the power vacuum for hair metal to yeah, come in
2: that's right and it's <laughs> good right cuz it's always an, a counter yeah. and and in in the U- there was the british metal scene in the uk that was exciting with motorhead with motorhead and saxon and def leppard ultimately came out of that iron maiden yeah and so you 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 know you could feel the underground of what metal was and in la you know los angeles like bastardizes stuff and makes it shinier and more right. presentable and that's what hair metal was
0: so when you were coming so you grew your hair out yep and are you learning how to play bass at this point or
2: yeah definitely because I, I started like thinking i was a better piano player or keyboard player than i was a bass player so yeah. i thought i was going to be a keyboard player but it just looked a lot cooler to play bass and you know it seemed easy enough <laughs> were you playing in a punk strings. band i had played in several punk bands yeah with anybody not anybody of consequence. Yeah, I played in a, you know, in LA, it's great because, like, Everywhere. there used to be this magazine called The Recycler, which I guess is what Craigslist would be now. Right. And you would just meet people in this thing. I met Mick Mars that way, you know, just people would answer ads. And that's how I met Gilby. Gilby who Clark. Yeah. Ultimately went on to Guns N' Roses. He was my guitar player in Candy. I I had an ad that said, I think it said something like I want a guitar player with messy hair into David Bowie and Nick Gilder <laughs> in the suite. Or Nick something Gilder. like that. And uh I and yeah, and said Gilby called, that's how I met Gilby.
0: So all right, so you guys are like eighteen 17, 18? Yeah,
2: 18 years old, yeah. And He's you're, 17, I'm 18. And
0: you're growing your hair out, and, and who were the bands? When did, did you start going around to watch metal now after the punk when you decided? There
2: really weren't metal bands. That's the thing, it's like there were, but they were just like playing out in Pasadena and Monrovia. And Wasn't places. London around? Well, that was Nikki's band. That was they were just starting that. pre
0: Motley Crue.
2: Yeah, pre Motley Crue. So that's the band that I really loved, L- London. London. Yeah.
0: So they were just starting out. So they they, were just it, this starting. scene was was try, was pushing out. You know, like punk had receded, and I guess as a, as a live event. Or is something that people could respect? Those sort of new wave bands was it kind of evolved more into a dance thing, or what? Yeah, or they weren't a live they, thing. They
2: were, but it was like they were—they didn't look cool. Like you know, they—they had—they were just not exciting. Right. Like, the Knack were a good band, actually. Yeah, yeah. But they didn't look cool
0: so you're that's, seeing london and you you get gilby and you guys are growing your johnny thunder's hair that's right and what you told me about how it was done at one point i was sort of fascinated by it like it was a lot of spray net right
2: yeah aqua net aqua net yeah. yeah. there right. were different ways like <laughs> gilby figured out that you could take <laughs> ivory soap and rub it on your hands and just go like this to your hair and yeah. it would stand up for a long time so it would that stick was, yeah it was pretty it was pretty gross because the soap When you sweat, when you played, the soap would get in your eyes and sting.
0: (laughs) So you guys are all living together?
2: Yeah. We all had a two... The four of us had a two-bedroom apartment on Palm, right below Sunset. Yeah. And Motley Crue was one block away on Clark. Yeah. And uh, so we'd we'd go to the parties at their house.
0: But they weren't big yet either, right? Oh, no.
2: They were just starting. So you're all just starting. So you're...
0: You're hanging around with you know with Motley Crue and your Candy and who yeah. else was around?
2: I mean, all of them. I mean, GNR
0: wasn't around yet, was? They it? weren't
2: around yet, but Izzy was around. Izzy Stradlin. We loved Izzy. Yeah. Yeah. He good was, guy? He was our, great, unbelievable. Like he's your guy. Yeah. Like he was Blues Stones. Yeah. All he, he would just listen to Exile on Main Street. He had a boombox with that tape, oh, yeah. and listen over and over.
0: And he's a good player.
2: He was like he was he was the right player. Right all rhythm. Yeah. To Great balance rhythm. slash. Yeah. 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 Slash worked at at that time he was at Tower Video. Yeah. working. But uh is he is he and Axel had a band called Hollywood Rose. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean I mean I I booked their first gig in a in, in L A at a at a place called Madame Wong's Chinatown, which was a Chinese restaurant. I remember that, and uh, it was just, the audience was basically me, Gilby, and our friend Timpy, who had a group called Flies on Fire, that was really good. Yeah, and I remember watching their first gig—not not Guns Ch- and Roses, but, but Hollywood Rose—the first Axel gig, right going holy shit like this guy is a superstar. You knew it? Oh yeah. One yeah, yeah. just from the minute he opened his mouth you're just like, "Oh, oh
0: when's this going to yeah. happen?" So when does the scene start? So like like when does the scene start coalescing? So
2: what happens is no one will sign the bands, no one will play the records and a couple of the bands get people to make their own records. Motley Crue got some rich investors. Yeah, I think there was Alan Kaufman. I think was his name, but it said Kaufman and Kaufman on the record. Yeah, and then Quiet Riot got yeah. Pasha. Quiet Riot really blew it up. Rat got uh, Milton Berle's kid. Yeah, <laughs> made their record for them. So everybody had like an investor to yeah, make the a records. patron. Yeah, yeah, and they but. Then K-L-O-S, which was like the classic rock station in L.A., started playing these bands, and the phones lit up. And then MTV- And they were local. Yeah. Yeah, they were local bands. So
0: there was that connection, like, this is from L.A., this is what's happening.
2: That's right. And then MTV started playing Quiet Riot. And then Bang Your Head became like- you know and come on feel the noise and all of a sudden quiet riot it's all like five million records and every record company was in la going get me one of these <laughs> yeah.
0: so everybody was trying to do their thing
2: yeah everybody was like five you know yeah so it's, so everybody was getting signed
0: so you and gilby who are the other members of candy
2: uh kyle who i went to high school with yeah he was my is my friend and john schubert who uh, I met through a guitar player that I found in the Music Connection ad.
0: <laughs> yeah, and where are those guys?
2: So Kyle's in... Uh, I talked to Kyle yesterday. He's yeah. great. He's yeah. still singing. He, he makes his own records. And he lives in uh, Massachusetts now. Uh-huh. And John is a teacher. John's the best guy ever. He's he got a, out. Yeah, he's a teacher in uh, Inglewood.
0: Oh, good. Yeah. So um, I always... It's weird. I've gotten to this age where I'm thrilled when people get out. <laughs> you know know, like good for you
2: it is like sometimes you have the
0: courage to get out
2: it is there's that thing where it's like you know sometimes like i think about it and i'm like wow if i had had a hit i'd probably still be in candy (laughs) yeah still trying to get another hit well you said
0: that amazing thing to me too this was the outside of you know reconfiguring my music brain there was some conversation we had there's a couple of great moments and we'll get to them when we get to that period but you uh you said to me you know you have to realize it being an adult is realizing your limitations. (laughs) And I just remember you saying that to me. We used to have these walks, you and I in New York, we just walk and I tell you like how I was doing the wrong thing in every way. And you'd be like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then you just lay one of these little gems on me, but that realizing your limitations, like if you're talented, like I never forgot that. Like it, it, like it stays with me. I don't know where you got it.
2: You know where I got it? Where? Dirty Harry. (laughs) Hey, come on. It's, you know this famous Clint Eastwood speech where he goes, I know what you're thinking. Yeah. You fire six shots or only five? Right. The end of that speech, he goes, a man's got to know his limitations.
0: No shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that resonated with you some, philosophically.
2: That speech was so important to me that I, you know, I used to love movies, so I would tape those kind of things. Yeah. And that was one of the ones I had on tape and I would listen to it. What other ones? I, oh, terrible things like Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yeah, I definitely know all the words from that. Chinatown was a big one for me. Jack Nicholson. Yeah, and but when you you tape these old things and then you know you tape these movies, sometimes those things just stick with you.
0: So all right, so you and Gilby and the, the other two dudes, you're kicking around. You put you put. A, who's writing the songs? That's me. You're the so, songwriter.
2: Yeah. So I uh, I think that that was. I think it was probably a mistake but uh i was definitely uh, i was very much a control freak i probably still am (laughs) and uh (laughs) i definitely didn't share yeah i think i you know it's like i'm i'm glad that i'm not uh in a band in the social media age because i think i'd hate myself because of the narcissism right but at that time i was like oh yeah i'm a genius i'm gonna write these songs and you guys are gonna play them and uh they probably would have been better I was I think I was good at lyrics yeah but I think the songs would have been better if I had had everybody right
0: but me. now like you know as a manager and I know that you know part of the evolution of of surviving in the music industry now is that you know you grew to respect uh managers and producers that were hands-on with the band and crafting songs and sounds and uh, but at that time you you were in the dark about that stuff
2: yeah I I didn't I had no I didn't know anyone in the music business, so I didn't know what a producer did, a manager did a record company. I didn't know anything like in some respects that was amazing because it was like there was this naivete from what we did yeah like like if if I had known, I probably wouldn't have done half the stupid things that we did, <laughs> you know, like we had like I remember we lit the curtain, the drop curtain at the Roxy, on fire because we had homemade flashbots and they went off. And like we could have burned the place down, and we probably shouldn't have done that. Right. (laughs) Had the homemade flashbots, right? But I, we didn't know. We didn't know anything.
0: Did you ever play the Roxy after that?
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, We we, fortunately like we saw the curtain go up, and and me and Gilby stomped it out because we were in the front. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Before it, uh, before it became a problem.
0: (laughs) So who was signed? Who signed Candy?
2: So Candy was first signed to a label called Curb Records, which is Mike Kerb, who's a who's who does well in country, but he's definitely like notorious for being very tough on the deals. Yeah. And then How'd you get that guy? That guy came through Kim Fowley.
0: You knew Kim Fowley?
2: Kim Fowley was yes. So Kim Fowley was really who helped Candy get he awesome. was like right. a
0: notorious monster in some he, ways. He
2: taught me the music business. Yeah. Kim Fowley did. Yeah. He like I don't some...
0: know I don't know so I know so little about him other than these bits and pieces from the runaways and He's... his solo career was sort of odd, correct?
2: He's such an interesting, odd, strange person. So so we were playing a show. So this is how I got in the music business. Yeah. So we're playing a show at Madame Wong's West. Yeah. We're like on at eleven o'clock at night on a Tuesday, like no one cares. Yeah. And uh, the band before is this band called Tantrum that has somebody from a band that Kim produced before? So I see Kim in the elevator, and I'm like, "Oh shit, that's Kim Felly."
0: How'd you know him from what?
2: Just from pictures in Cream magazine of him with the Runaways, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I'm like, "Oh, this is my ticket, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm gonna get make this guy like me." So he looks at my shirt, and I've got this super cool Bowie print of it's like a black and red print shirt. He's yeah. like, "That's for, he's like that's cool." He's like, "I'm like, you got to come see my band." We're like. We're you know we're a cross between the Ramones and what the Monkeys or whatever I said. <laughs> yeah, he was like, "All right, kid." So he watched the band. He's like, he's like, "All right, you're doing it all wrong." He's like, "Come to my apartment, play me all your songs, and I'll tell you how to do this." And we went to his apartment till like seven in the morning. He's like. You know he's kind of a creepy, strange guy, so yeah. we don't know what's gonna happen. It's
0: just you and Gilby, or all it's of you, it's all
2: of us, it's the whole <laughs> band. And <laughs> yeah. uh, and I'm playing him like night, you know, every song I've ever written. And and he goes, Okay, kid, when's your next gig? I go, The Troubadour, he goes, Here's my Rolodex, call every single person in this and put them all on the guest list. And it took us a week, we called everybody in the Rolodex, said, Hey, we're calling from Kim Fowley's office, you're invited to our show. We played the troubadour. There's a line around the block. <laughs> like it's like we're the Beatles. There's like girls throwing roses at us, <laughs> taking pictures. I'm Like oh shit, it's show business, yeah. of course. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So and so Kim was like, oh, he's like, all right, we're gonna get you a record deal, and we he started like bringing people down, and we played for Clive Davis, and you know, and just the usual really? people. Oh yeah, like. By the way, like two months into being a band, no business playing for anybody at this point. He's playing for
0: one of the biggest guys in the record industry. Yeah.
2: And at the Clive Davis Showcase, Michael Lloyd, who's an A&R guy and a producer for Mike Kerb Records, was there. And he goes, oh, I'll sign you. And he had produced Sean Cassidy and Leif Garrett. And he... We didn't see eye to eye. He wanted us to be more of a bubblegum band than we wanted to be. And so... I was like, Well, we gotta get out of this deal and at, and we started building we you know, from that Troubadour. You
0: signed a deal and you realized after?
2: Yeah, of course, because 'cause we we're eighteen. We yeah. signed Oh, it's a record deal that sign yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh so we just started you know, we were and we were building and like we, we had like a real thing going in LA. Yeah. Because from the Troubadour show, it was like, Oh, I get it, it's show business. So yeah. let's figure out how to make us feel bigger than we are all right. the time. And um, we got, uh, we got a manager, we got a TV sh- deal, because <laughs> it's Los Angeles yeah. with Orion Television, yeah. we wanted to make a sh- TV show out of the band. Because <laughs> yeah. we, we, you know, we all lived together like the monkeys and we all had like the same kind of haircut, so yeah. it seemed like a TV and, show. And,
0: and to your credit, uh, just by coincidence, none of you guys were fuck-ups.
2: Right, yeah, that was probably our downfall.
0: But you we were, you, you yeah, weren't we boozers were, there was no junkies yeah, there was no No, we
2: were we were definitely reasonably clean. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> we, right. would, we would drink. I mean we were we were kids too. So we would drink but not Right. You know, it was you, girly you, drinks. Right. It was, you weren't
0: gunning for the end. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So you get this TV thing too? So
2: we get the TV thing with Orion. She goes, "Well, you need a manager cuz we didn't have a manager when right. we signed a record deal." And so she brought in Howard Marks who was managing Kiss and he said, "Oh, I like you." And he's like, "Oh, this record deal's terrible." And I was like, "Yeah, I hate this record deal." And he was like, "Okay, I'll get you out. I'll bring kisses, r guy. So then he comes, flies in from New York, and yeah. signs us.
0: <laughs> That's all you had to do get out of a deal. Pr-
2: pretty much, we bought we we bought our way out, but it was like relatively inexpensive it was a few thousand bucks I right think. right because i think michael because you
0: weren't a known quantity
2: you yeah, weren't making and, money and i think michael the, no we hadn't done anything and right. i think michael the producer was like uh i think he probably was like this kid's this kid's really full of himself i don't need this in my life right
0: because <laughs> right, you were fighting him yeah i yeah. would fight him on everything so now you're signed with the kiss guy
2: yeah so he brings his yeah, he's a manager. He brings Marks. The, uh, Howard Marks, yeah. and he brings Jerry Jaffe, who's a A and R guy in New York, out to see us. And Jerry, I love Jerry, and he signs us to Mercury yeah. Records, and that's that's how we got the deal
0: for the first Candy record. First
2: Candy record.
0: And you go into the studio, and that's where you learn what a producer does.
2: And we go, you know, Who produced it. So, so you know, we have no idea what a producer. is, So we go. Oh, can Phil Spector or George Martin do it? <laughs> We're going on like the list of the guys that we've heard of that are producers. Right, 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 right. And uh they're like, uh no, no. And I'm like, well, the Jimmy Einer had done the Raspberries records and like we really liked the raspberries. Yeah. So it was like, well, let's call Jimmy Einer. Jimmy was like, All right, I'll 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 produce it. You kids need a lot of work. Everything Jimmy said was right. Yeah. You know, we, we needed a lot of work. But again, it's I was what was like, that
0: process like? Though, what was the learning curve on that? What, and when he said work, what did it mean to you as the the sort of bass playing leader of the band?
2: Oh, I was so arrogant. I wasn't listening to anybody. Yeah, I was just like, we got this. Like, yeah, right. We're playing. We're playing the Roxy and the whiskey and selling out. Like, you <laughs> you know, we've got what the do you kids. Know, right, we've yeah. got the kids. What do you know about getting on the radio or yeah. whatever? And. uh so I would do what he asked, like he would ask for lyric changes and things. Yeah. But uh but it was in a begrudging way. Yeah. We do the record. You like it? Uh no. Because it's like they he it because we didn't really listen to him, yeah. we didn't really make the record that he wanted us to make. Yeah. And we it wasn't as punk as we were right so, but
0: you were still drawing from it seemed like you know the pedigree was was pretty poppy. I yeah. mean if you' know you're talking yeah. the raspberries yeah
2: yeah yeah we, we wanted to be uh, we wanted to be a successful Ramones yeah a commercially successful Ramones Obviously right. the Ramones are genius yeah but uh, we wanted to be the Ramones that were on the radio
0: right so so what happened so they released a record
2: It's pretty much crickets except that MTV. Takes a liking to the video. Which song? I had to write the treatment. Whatever happened to fun?
0: Oh yeah, that's your big almost yeah, hit. Yeah,
2: yeah. So I I had to you know because because I couldn't give up control. I wrote the video treatment. It's <laughs> so all all stupid shit. Okay. And uh, and the so MTV starts playing the video and we get uh get some tours with Rick Springfield and Corey Hart, but because we're not like as big as Michael Jackson, we're just like fuck this like. You know, kick the singer out of the band, and oh, it's all kinds of stupid.
0: But okay, so but but th- those are who you're billed with. So yeah. this is not really the world of testosterone and metal.
2: No, because the record didn't sound like testosterone and metal.
0: But that's not your bag, yeah. anyways.
2: No, I was I was fine with not being a metal band. Yeah, but the thing, like, and, but one of the things that was interesting that happened. Where I and it's maybe it's all of it affected like how I manage. Is so at that time I was I was friends with the poison guys and I was helping them slightly, I didn't I wasn't like a big part of their thing or anything, but they were living in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And I would give them some tips on how to come to LA, right? And it's real fun here and you can get a record deal.
0: How'd you meet them?
2: Um, I met them through another band from Baltimore called the Vamps, yeah. And uh, and then they got a friend of mine and Gilby's C.C. DeVille to play guitar for them. So then that's how I became like good friends with them.
0: And you you pulled him out to L. A. Yeah,
2: yeah, came come out to L. A. Meet Kim Fowley, yeah, you know all yeah. that kind of stuff. You and, stayed in
0: touch with Fowley.
2: Uh, yeah, he passed away recently. I know, but I've stayed in touch with him the whole time. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. He heckled me at South by Southwest at a panel. It was amazing. <laughs> 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 um, so so. But one of the things that I realized that, like, they did much smarter than we did is they did pop music, but they put it in the guise of a metal band. Yeah. And, like, we were just floating in no man's land. Like, there right. was a guy who, uh, uh, the f- the college radio guy at Mercury, yeah. a guy named Jack Iskwith, who I'm still friends with, who who's, who's a great guy, he was the first guy to tell me the truth in the record business. Yeah. He goes, kid... I know what you are. He's like, but you're fucked. Because <laughs> you think you're Lord to the new church and yeah. this label thinks you're wham. <laughs> and I was like, Oh no. <laughs> 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 that was the truth. And that's when I realized that it was like, Oh, so we that's so if if we're gonna stay on the labels business, that's why we started doing the Rick Springfield, Corey Hart. I was like, they think we're a pop band, okay. We got to play ball in that world. Right.
0: And did you go over with those audiences? Oh, we killed.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Because my singer was, he had a great poppy voice. Which, who? Kyle. Yeah. It's just like, it's such a nice, it's such a good pop star voice. Yes. And uh, we were, and we were, we were dangerous for those crowds. Right. So little
0: girls? Yeah. All little
2: (laughs) girls. Yeah. They loved it. (laughs) And, but, but, you know, we wanted to be, we had no patience whatsoever. So we were like, fuck this. Gonna, Get rid of the singer. Gilby's going to sing. <laughs> and yeah, well, so we, we imploded ourselves for no good reason. After the first record? After the first record, yeah.
0: And then what happens? What, what does then, that look like?
2: So then what happens is L.A. changes. We come back from tour and all of a sudden, Guns and Roses, it's a new scene. It's a darker scene.
0: So like now it's, it's the real hair metal thing.
2: That's right. And so it's L.A. is an explosion. Yeah, and it's in, it's incredible. It's like everyone's walking around in a band, passing out flyers, and right up
0: there on sunset on,
2: su- on the the strip is like all metal kids.
0: That's where, like, that's Penelope Spirits' second movie.
2: Penelope Spirits' second movie, which is decline of Western
0: civilization with the guy from Wasp in the pool.
2: It's one of the greatest. That guy didn't turn out well. No, I don't no. think anyone in that movie turned out that well.
0: And just but all it, those kids it too. Was,
2: it was But unreal. that's the time. That is the time.
0: So you get back and you're like, what the fuck?
2: Yeah, it was like, wow, it's it's so crazy what's happening here. So what happens is- And that's
0: when the comedy store is cranking. The
2: ca- comedy store is cranking. Right. And Gilby and I go, well, if we split into two bands, we'll probably get two record deals because everyone's getting a record deal. And if we stay candy, we're going to probably just like, you know, nobody, at that time, nobody, if you lost your record deal, you were kind of, persona non grata so we split into two bands and john the drummer and i became electric angels
0: oh yeah i, I had that cd yeah. and then yeah.
2: gilby becomes kill for thrills yeah and we both get record deals right. we, we moved to new york and we get a record deal three weeks later with atlantic gilby gets a record deal with mca so yeah. it was like so yeah that was that was part two it was like the the gypsy years. <laughs>
0: All right, so the Electric Angels comes out and does nothing.
2: The Electric Angels comes out and does nothing. <laughs> but do, uh, did
0: the label get behind it?
2: They didn't,
0: yeah. but
2: in their defense, not knowing what I know now, we didn't give them a record to get behind. Like, uh-huh. Labels are really good at radio. Yeah. That's their thing. Yeah. They have control over it. At that time. Yeah. It's yeah. Still still they are. Yeah. It's still there. It, that's that's what they're exceptional at. They're the best in the world. Like, yeah. If you really want to be on the radio, you have to be on a big label. You know they know what hits are. They know what hits are, and they but they and they also know when to spend the money. Yeah, spend a little bit more money promoting right. a hit, all yeah. that kind of stuff. But they also have people that work at those places that are really good at at radio.
0: And this is something you learn later.
2: I learned that I learned that the hard way. Right. So with Electric Angels, we gave them a record that sounded like it wasn't it wasn't a metal record. It was yeah. like kind of dark and glammy. And it wasn't like a pop record. It was like, what do we do with this? Like, radio is what we do. So we did a lot of touring, and we we built up a good cult following, just like Candy did. But same thing. It was like, fuck this label, like, (laughs) you know, same implosion.
0: All right, so Electric Angels craps out. So when do you start uh, applying the uh, Know Your Limitations?
2: (laughs) So that's when I start to go, okay, maybe I'm not going to, be this an isn't astronaut for me, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> let childhood dreams pass
2: yeah let the childhood dreams pass let me get a job let me like Ugh. earn some money yeah and you know that job was so terrible like but you had
0: no but you had no vision for what that would be in terms of like how am I gonna make my how am I gonna get big yeah like you had to let that go because you had to start somewhere that's right so how do you end up in the fucking accounting department at Sony?
2: That it was more like, well, maybe quality of life is different. Like, maybe I'm wrong. Like, maybe I'm wrong about everything. Right. That maybe I shouldn't be in music. Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe there's like, I was never driven by money. Like, you were never driven by right. money. Right. It was driven by, yeah, how do I get big? Yeah. <laughs> and or how uh, do I
0: do what I want?
2: How do I do what I want? Yeah. And it's like, maybe, maybe I, I mean, I'm good at accounting. Like, it's easy. I do it for my band. Yeah. And it was easy, but it was such a miserable job. I got Bell's palsy.
0: I remember that because that's when we were friends. So this is like the mid 90s yep. we're hanging out and you're miserable and you got me a deal on things. You're teaching me about the music business. We got our girlfriends. We're eating Italian food by your house. And, uh, you know, I'm telling you what's going on in comedy and you're like, you know, kind of, you know, uh, chiming in about that and we're, you know, seeing, because at that time it was me and Louie and Todd Berry and Nick DiPaolo is sort of like right around the beginning of alt comedy. And a lot of things were happening for me, but that weren't happening. And then your face drops. Half your yeah. face just falls down. Yeah. And I remember we went out to dinner. I'm like, what the fuck? And you're yeah. like, I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah. and it's like, it's supposed it was, to go away.
2: Yeah, that's like, I, it was at, it was with you when I like first noticed it. Where like, yeah, my face dropped and I was like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. Because I remember we went on one of those walks.
2: Yeah. And uh, I went to, you go to a doctor for Bell's palsy and they're like, we don't know what causes it. <laughs> right. We don't know how to cure it. And right. I'm like, fuck. Yeah. Like, this is, I'm going to look is, like this, this, like a stroke yeah, guy. I yeah. felt so
0: bad for you, because yeah. you're like, I don't know, they say it probably go away, yeah. I don't know how long.
2: And uh, I went to an acupuncturist, and the guy goes, you don't like your job, <laughs> quit your job. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> how did he know that? <laughs> And so I was like, okay, I'm going to dive back into music. And I started producing things. Remember I produced that girl, the New York Loose, do you remember that? Yeah. The and um so What was I, her name? Bridget. Yeah. Yeah, she was great. And yeah. so it just I was producing things and so I was just like I'm going to quit this job, dive into music.
0: And then like New York Loose happened, right? I'm trying to remember what she looked like.
2: She was like blonde, like cool looking, like a Debbie Harry kind of looking girl. Yeah,
0: yeah, oh. yeah. So you got her a deal got as her a de- as her manager? No, no really, no, just
2: like like you were kind of a, a hustler. R-ing. Yeah, I was just hustling, right? You know, and
0: who'd you call to get that deal?
2: I just like just she was a good hustler and I was a good hustler and we just started like working everybody in the business, right? And then once that happened, I got that job at Fiction.
0: Right. That was the guy from the cure, right? The, guy, the manager for Chris from
2: the, Perry, the cure's Chris, manager. That's he got right.
0: he he set you up in an office in the BMG building. That's exactly right. In New York, and you were just sort of like doing his whatever he needed, but you yeah, had a lot of free time. I had a lot of free time. To, to, and you were, that was the amazing thing. It's like, you never could really tell me exactly what you did for him, but this is his rug.
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right, because he... <laughs> right, because he left his New York apartment. It was like, you just take whatever and you need. you like, need. you
0: need a rug, and I'm like, I'll take that. This is the same
2: rug, dude. So Chris Perry, yeah, he's, he's my hero, essentially, because he's the one who showed me how to do it all. So... He was he was in a band from New Zealand called The Formula uh-huh. when he was a kid, moved yeah. to London. He had a big hit in New Zealand, moved to London, the band stiffed, he became an A&R guy. He's the guy in the great rock and roll swindle yeah. that gives the pistols the demo money and then they sign with somebody else. That's him. Yeah. And then he signed the jam and he produced the jam albums and he became, and then he found The Cure and he quit his job as an A&R guy and became The Cure's manager. Who
0: was he A&R for? EMI? Uh, Polydor. Polydor. Yeah. See, like, you were the guy who taught me what AR is. I didn't know any of this yeah. shit. And, like, AR people, they're the guys that sign the guys for the labels, and that's a big money game. Yeah. That's if right. you're good at it. So, that's your right. guy, what's his name again? Chris Perry. Chris Perry is now the manager of The Cure, but by the time you meet him, The Cure is, like, already huge. Huge.
2: They're doing, they're like, they're almost st- done. D- yeah. In and a he, way. So, he was, like, by that time, he had moved on to to doing radios he he built a radio uh station in the UK called XFM right and he but he just showed me like that the music business it's it's what you make of it it's kind of like what I did when I was in a band only I'm not in the band anymore so like I can do it with different bands and it's it's just like it really is whatever you want it to be There's right no but, oh i remember the,
0: the one thing that that kind of blew your mind when you were at sony the thing that i think started giving you the bell's palsy was yeah. that these artists were not picking up their residual check
2: oh yeah that was crazy so, yeah, so they, yeah. they would just be like what would you ben say morrison with like eight hundred and sixty thousand so, dollars yeah 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 <laughs> and, and and they're not gonna find him <laughs> yeah
0: and so that yeah i think that was part of the sort of like holy shit
2: yep yep this yeah. is there's like all this money here, yeah,
0: right? <laughs> yeah. All right. So he's like, so you can do whatever you want in the music business when you have that that zone to sort of produce, manage, A and R. Like you, you know, it's sort of once you're in the house, you can kind of do whatever.
2: Yeah, and it's more like you do what you think is right rather than like what you think. You're but supposed what did he
0: expect do? out of you?
2: He just wanted me to find bands and and or so. find writers. And sign him to publishing deals, and which I did for him. And we had like we had a bunch of hits.
0: Just to have as a manager, you were you were he sort of doing a publisher.
2: Some... He wanted me to do it for him as a publisher. Okay. So sign like the songwriting part of it.
0: Right. And you sign people.
2: Yeah. 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 And we had a, we had a good run. Who like with who? We did. A, I had a. Um, the first hit I had was Primitive Radio God. No, I remember that. Right? It's
0: like listen to you, like the yeah, first yeah. I had. You, yeah. you got what was? It? You were sitting there and you told me you've got some unsolicited. Yeah, it was an unsolicited just came demo. to the office.
2: And like I'm listening to it, and the kids like, oh, like I sent that in years ago, and I'm like, oh shit, I don't know what I'm doing. So it's but a, then it became a giant hit <laughs> with the BB King sample. Yeah, with the BB King sample. I've been
0: downhearted, baby. Been downhearted, baby. Right, and that yeah. was you're like I'm going to make this a hit, and that was yeah. the first time the you first did thing. that.
2: That was the first hit. And how'd you do that? You just took the... Got it in the Cable Guy soundtrack. And from the Cable Guy soundtrack, it just took off. Like, radio stations started playing it, and then... So,
0: you... The publishing... Part of the publishing world, which I remember now that you were involved with, was getting these smaller bands that you know had been around for a while these deals to just have their music on shows that wasn't because i know a guy who does that for my show that's right. still a route to go Yep, is that they because people don't want they don't have the money to pay for hits that's right from the history of music that's right because it's ridiculous right so there's all these hungry bands around that if you go you'll get residuals and they'll give you ten thousand up front that's right yeah if you let them do it i'll put the sh- the song on the show so you got on the cable guy and yeah. then it became huge.
2: Yeah, and then it became a giant hit. And then uh now you're a hit maker. Now I'm a hit maker. So <laughs> then I I find this kid Jive Jones, I put him with a writer to write for because somebody's developing a new girl and they need a girl song and they write Candy. I give it to Mandy Moore's A and R guy and it becomes a giant hit for Mandy Moore and launches her. So
0: and what's your cut on that?
2: Uh we get 25%.
0: Oh, this is when you're still at the BMG building. Yeah,
2: this is in the BMG building. So, like, things are going well in the BMG building. Yeah. Like, I'm doing these things for him. and uh, But, like, but then Napster hits. And when Napster hit, that's when I started. Because you, you, you were still in New York then. Remember I got, I was like, oh, the internet's going to change everything. And, like, you'll well, be able to make your own records and all this stuff. Right,
0: you saw that coming. And then also there was this, I remember there was a time where, you were actively scouting i can't remember for what reason man cuz remember when cmj came yeah. and there you know you'd always have all those records and you're always running around doing stuff you you weren't managing yet were you
2: no that's when i was i was but i was like i had this thing in my head where i was going to be able to do it the way i would have done it as I was in a band, like do it yourself basically right. because of the internet. Okay. So, so that, that was around that time. time. Oh, That's I right. get it.
0: So you, you saw this coming.
2: Yeah. So when Napster hit, it just changed everything for me. It was like, oh my God, it's like the whole business is going to change. Broke open. Yeah.
0: And at that time, was that when you developed the relationship with Don Arden? I remember that was a, a big like yes. life changer.
2: Yeah. That was crazy. I'm very glad that I didn't do anything with him because like, but how did that happen? Like Don Chris Arden
0: had, managed Black Sabbath. His his daughter is Sharon Osbourne. Yeah. But he also managed like Jerry ELO, Lewis and ELO. and ELO. Yeah, he was big, big, big British, big, huge manager. Yeah, so old school,
2: very old school. Right. And at that time, he was probably past his his.
0: Right. I remember that because he day. like he, I don't remember but, how he reached out to you. What was that?
2: Well, those guys, the older guys like Seymour Stein and Don, they they took a liking you know when i started like looking for bands and saying i was going to do things on the internet because there weren't very many people saying that at right. that time these these older guys that were really good at their thing were like this i don't know what the internet is but this kid's <laughs> talking about something and maybe there's something there <laughs> so they That's were looking to be them.
0: part of it yeah so okay so so how does don arden reach out to you because i remember didn't you go to london yeah. And hang out with yeah. him?
2: So Don came to me through uh, a guy who worked at Sony. Yeah. Named Greg McBowman. Yeah. Who was like a, he was a business guy at yeah. Sony. But he knew Don. Yeah. And through, because Don had a deal with Sony and he was like, oh, you you should meet this young guy who likes the internet. <laughs> so that's how. That's and what how what I was know.
0: your experience meeting him? Because I remember it was pretty oh, impactful. He,
2: yeah. I mean, he was an amazing character. Yeah. <laughs> you know. What did he, he learn from him? Yeah. You know, it's the same thing. It's sort of like if you if you create the character of what you, are, you know, again, like it's show business. Yeah. You can make stuff happen. You just, you can't, like everything, like the idea of having records that are going to be huge is, is a ridiculous idea. Yeah. But it's not impossible. Right. It's just improbable. Yeah. <laughs> so the difference between that is what I learned from guys like Don and Seymour and Chris is just like, oh yeah, like... Everyone's, it's really an even playing field. Right. On what the song that's going to be the song of the summer is. Yeah. You just have to, like, get a song that you believe in and then try and will it, you know, figure out how to get it through.
0: Right. And that's what you learn from those guys. Yeah.
2: You know, because the record business was started as like a street hustler business. Right. They're all street hustlers. Right. In in the best of ways.
0: And you you were the guy that had the foresight to start to hustle the internet.
2: I was like, I was. Definitely one of the early. I was definitely early in that process. Certainly, like from coming from an A and R angle, like other people were hustling the internet, but they were more looking at it in terms of like security and stuff that was more businessy. Yeah, I was the. I was early on going like, this is going to be a new way to market things.
0: So, when did you become a manager?
2: So, at the end of. the 90s chris was like chris that owned the bmg thing he was like i think i'm gonna retire i'll give you some money he gave me like 30 grand or something which at that time to me was a lot of money yeah and he's like you should start you should do what you want to do with this internet thing like you don't need don arden or you know any of these guys just do it yourself yeah it's like you don't need any money if what you're telling me is right you don't need any money (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah
2: and he was right So yeah. I, that's how i started it was is like i started with a little bit of money and an office in soho and some interns <laughs> and uh i started looking for do-it-yourself people and the first artist was a was still my artist is one of my best friends butch walker yeah and um He was just like me, only way more talented. Yeah, and I was like, "Oh, this is going to be easy. I know what to do with him. Yeah, I'll just do what I would do with me." He's a producer. He he's an artist, and he's a big producer. He's done Taylor Swift, Katy Perry, Mm -hmm. uh, Avril Lavigne, Pink, like you know, but and also many other like cool things like uh, um, Frank Turner and Brian Fallon and and uh, Weezer and so he's done a mix of all kinds of music but when
0: you met him he was what
2: he was a, a singer songwriter uh-huh, which he still is but like in my mind, you know thinking like how I would think for me, all these bands thought he was great so I was like, oh, you should produce these bands and it started out with small bands like bowling for soup and yeah and s r seventy one and yeah. he had hits with those which led to Simple plan, which he had a hit with, which led to Avril, which led to Pink, which led to Katie. And now so it's just like, yeah, bigger than
0: big. Yeah.
2: And it's uh, so, so he was my first guy and really like a super, uh, that was like, uh, we can do this. Because yeah. he took a real chance on me because he had a record deal. I didn't have any clients. Like yeah. there was no reason for to let me manage him, <laughs> but he believed my my hustle. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we've had a we've had a really good run.
0: Yeah, and then and then who was the next client?
2: Do you remember my friend Pablo, who yeah. was an A and R guy with Benji at Columbia? Yep. So Pablo is he was he was a, always a great A and R guy. He was yeah. always early on things, and uh, he was like, you know, there's this kind of music called emo music. Yeah, like. It's like kids really like it, and yeah. it's all over the internet. Yeah. So I started. I was like, "All right." So I started looking for. So is anyone things.
0: making money? There are CDs still selling at this point.
2: CDs are still selling. Okay. Yeah, there's no, no one. Everyone's blind to the fact that 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 part of the business is going to be obliterated. Right. Everybody's just like, "Yeah, whatever." It's like a little fad that kids like, but we don't care about it. Right. So. I go I find these emo bands on mp3.com. There's a whole scene of them. And yeah. I sign a bunch of them. Yeah. Because there's nobody in the music business doing it. Yeah. And one of those bands is is Fallout Boy. Yeah. And Fallout Boy, if not for Fallout Boy, I'm probably not a successful right. manager. Or certainly not as successful as I am. Right. Um Pete from Fallout Boy is like a no-joke marketing. He's me, but better. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, he's no joke at marketing, mm-hmm. but he has that ambition that I had, yeah. and then he has a singer, Patrick, who's so talented. Yeah. And so we built this thing, uh, Oh, and one more key thing happens at that time. I always thought I needed a partner yeah. in my thing, like yeah. somebody who was completely different than me. You didn't Not call like,
0: me, I didn't get the call.
2: I don't think you would've been <laughs> the right guy. <laughs> I don't think you would've wanted to do it. That's probably And right. I, met, I met Bob McClinn, who is mm-hmm. still my partner, and he and i was like oh i have this band fallout boy can you like get them some tours and do that stuff and he carried them on his back and they became this giant band he was their road manager no he he was like i would say he was like he worked for me except i couldn't pay him cuz i had no money so <laughs> right. he was just like you know he had the right spirit he was like yeah whatever i'll look after it yeah and then uh that's how we sort of built the company as we built that band or he really built them on on tour.
0: So you took these kids off the online world, you know, basically out of, you know, community boards or what was what would have been Reddit at the time and and That's realized right. that they had a following of kids who were off the grid because they were now alienated from mainstream music and That's they had right. their own thing. And you realized at that time that the the nuts and bolts of the game always were but now more than ever uh was going to be touring
2: that's right and merchandise yeah and yeah. and and really just like but building community like if you have fans and you have the right song yeah and the right singer then you can be big those are like the three things right
0: yeah because that's why when we finally reconnected you're like yeah i'm huge <laughs> i mean you didn't say that yeah. but you're like i got these huge bands yeah. fallout boy and panic at the disco i'm like so, who so
2: pete found panic at the disco pete was like yo i found this other band panic at the disco <laughs> And it was like, it sounds like you. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, <laughs> they're cooler than me. He's like, just, he's like, we should sign them, they'll be big. And so we- So
0: Pete was the A&R guy on that?
2: Yeah, basically. Yeah. And so we bring sign Panic at the Disco, we make a record for like 10 grand, and we hear the record, Bob and I hear the record, and we're like, holy shit, like this'll <laughs> probably sell 50,000 records. We put the record out and it just goes batshit crazy. Like <laughs> yeah. kids flip out. We, we ended up selling $3 million of the record we made for $10,000.
0: <laughs> so now the record so, company thinks you're a genius. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So now it's like, okay, these guys... <laughs> We don't know what this emo thing is but these guys do. <laughs> and so we've got the he's got these bands and they're like you know they're selling out Madison Square Garden sized places. It's pretty pretty nuts.
0: So, so so at that time you've got Butch and these two bands.
2: These two bands and we have a couple more of these kind of emo bands. We yeah. have a we have a hip hop one called Gym Class Heroes that Pete found that's also selling like massive hits. Same thing. So, so that was so, your wave. So yeah, so we're the kings of emo. Right. So that we do that for like a few years
0: now, when do you start like you know using your experience and also your pop sensibility to guide these guys? I mean, what's that I relationship
2: that, that's that definitely started just as, it gets better like the the more I do this, the better I am with with artists, but that that started from the from day one I think yeah. there's like a because both Bob and I we were in bands we can speak a common language yeah it makes a lot of sense for people yeah. you know for the bands so They're right like, oh when they say you know if they go hey you might want to like repeat that part right it or, comes from the a, a sound like place. you're like we need
0: a hook yeah or yeah, yeah Put this said post chorus yeah right. yeah
2: put this at the beginning right right <laughs> yeah so like we that we I mean there was you know there's a period where like in a three week period, both of them were on the cover of Rolling Stone. So we're just like riding a wave. Right. And uh but and that scene was very much like, you know, it's a scene like Seattle yeah. or the sure. hair band scene. Sure. I'm like, you know, I am a I'm I'm a paranoid Jew. So I'm yeah. like what happens when this ends? <laughs> <laughs> like we're a really only emo. So I start thinking like okay the record what do I know?
0: well, like, you have now you have some cachet
2: now I have some, yeah, but but it's still like it's very specific, right, so I'm like, well, what do I know about the record business? What have I thought that that I could do different in a contrarian way? So I was like, well, the record business abandons artists before the public does, yeah, so if we could find some artists that were successful for but a record that fell or two. off, right. yeah and just have one more hit, they'd be right back in it. Right. And so, i that's when I met uh, my friend Sam Hollander, who's a writer-producer who had worked with our bands, um, said, you should meet Pat from Train. Yeah. And I was like...
0: I remember the first Train record.
2: Yeah. You remember Drops of Jupiter and Meet Virginia and they were big and then they, they had five years where they were not big. So I was like you know i don't know if train goes with my stuff he's like you'll like pat he's very funny he's very dark yeah and he's what i didn't know is he's also very ambitious and very talented yeah so i meet pat and i like him because he's funny and dark yeah and i'm like all right well you know he's like well you listen to my you don't do bands like me it's like no i don't but he's like well would you listen to my songs and he plays me I go, how many do you have? He goes, eighty. I go, oh, I might take a minute, but yeah. So we sit down and I'm listening to his songs, and he's got these songs. He's got this one, "Hey Soul Sister." I'm like, well, what's wrong with this? He's like, well, the label doesn't like it, and the and the producer doesn't like it. I was like, all right, I'll be your manager, but my first two jobs are I'm gonna fire the label and fire the producer. This song is a hit. Yeah, and uh, you know there was another song called "Marry Me" that I thought was a hit. And we make a record and the Hazel Sister became the biggest hit it was the biggest hit of the year that year. It sold I think it sold like nine million copies at uh-huh. this point. And but now we've had like maybe ten hits with, with Train. We have another one that just came out. Yeah. And so that was like, Oh, okay, I get how this is. And so that's how I met Sia. Same thing. It's like, well, she had a career. She never had a hit. Yeah. But she had like a little indie career. Yeah. She was in bad place. And uh I didn't know if I could manage see it because she wasn't pop. Yeah. You know, she wasn't what I knew and she was female and I know bands. So I was like, well, I don't know if I'm the right manager for you, but like I know how to get you out of the bad position you're in. Yeah. Because she was in like a deal she didn't like and she was miserable. She was yeah. just like sick and, and she she thought she was an alcoholic and maybe she was or wasn't, I don't know, because I wasn't friends with her then. Yeah and we just became friends and i was like oh my god like this girl is like the most talented person i've ever met <laughs> i was like she can do pop music and so we started like figuring out how to do pop music and once she figured it out like you know she's no joke <laughs> and she's also like i think she's one of the most successful pop writers in the game wow <laughs> maybe it's maybe like the most successful female yeah but one of the things that we just that just happened to her this year which like it makes me like it's it's you know like money and numbers on a chart they're just like measures of things but what's super great about this one is she's the f- one of the only women ever f- that's 40 years old that's had a number one record on a road it's share Madonna and Sia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's pretty like yeah. know, In a in a game where they tell you that you know w- you can't age women.
0: It's, that's pretty great. cool. Yeah, that is cool.
2: You know the the thing about the 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 company and uh-huh. it's like it really is like a team. We manage like a band. I've right. got like twenty five people that work there.
0: Crush management.
2: Crush management. Mm-hmm. All of them are like everyone there is so talented that I don't have to be a control freak. Right. They do. You know, like Dan Krutchgow who runs marketing is so much better than I am at marketing. Yeah. It's so great to have that. Yeah. You know, and, and we have that And we've got, you know, radio people. We've got this two two guys, Eric does pop radio and Capone does alternative. They're like animals. They yeah. just don't know. They won't they won't stop until the, the records are hit. So uh-huh. it's it's awesome. It's and you've
0: got an office here in LA and and in New York?
2: New York and LA. It's all it's all crazy. No London? No, no London yet. (laughs) Don't tempt me. (laughs) I always say, like, if I have a great song, my job is easy, and if I have a good song, my job's impossible. Yeah, and it's really what it is. You have to keep raising the bar on yourself. Yeah, I mean, you know, like great artists, no matter what kind of artists, they're always in competition with themselves, right? Yeah. I think when you're, I think one of the things that both of us had when we were younger. It's just like we'd be en- we'd be in competition with others, yeah, and we'd be envious of others, right? But when you're really good, you're just you drop all right. that stuff.
0: Yeah, you, you don't even think about it anymore. Yeah, like I'm very surprised that happened to me. He- you know, I mean, there's a couple that if you give me a minute, <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I can get there pretty quickly, but it's it's not guiding my disposition. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And when you can let go of that, it really helps the success. Well, well
0: right. But usually the only way you can let go of it, you know, without, you know, intense vigilance is if you find some success. yeah Yeah, sadly that's right i mean you you know you can be consumed with that shit and it can kill you yeah and it can end you if you're lucky enough to get a little success it starts to ease up that's right you know but that's not a guarantee the the
2: truth is is like it's great when your friends are successful it's way better it's like you you know you you brought me to a poker game right definitely like at eddie brills at eddie brills yeah the during the during like my lowest period when you know the Bell's palsy days we used to play poker with right. and pretty much everyone in that poker game is huge yeah. now <laughs> Jeff like, Ross it was like but Louie and Sarah Silverman and yeah. Dave Cross yeah, you know yeah, it's yeah. like all of them became yeah. like wildly successful right and it's like
0: long before well, me so I didn't play <laughs> I didn't stay in the game You long didn't
2: play poker enough but, I always
0: <laughs> lost I was bad at it
2: but but the thing is is like
0: and Louie immortalized that game in his show.
2: Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, that's right. But it's just like it's it's like having that is much more fun than if you know as a memory yeah. than if I play poker with your friends and none of them <laughs> got yeah, successful. Sure, <laughs> I yeah. played poker with some comedians. Yeah,
0: yeah, right, <laughs> but right. But now it's what like happened an incredible to those guys? Story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, there was th- you definitely got that feeling in whatever business you were in that you know it was a smaller world in a way. Back then, certainly in co- comedy, right? Uh, you know, and you just didn't think about that—that you know, that was the next generation that would become great, and and then really hold on to it. Now, uh, like getting into the current day, you know, it, it, along the same lines that you know you took on Train, you've taken on Weezer and Courtney Love, kind of.
2: Weezer, Courtney, yeah. the The newest one we have is Lord, which right. I'm super excited about. But she wasn't a so husband, no. To, that's well that's what i'm that's why I'm saying the newest one because this is the first time anyone's given me something that was currently successful to work on so that's how that that's happen? exciting i <laughs> if you ask her, she'll say I was the only manager without a publicist <laughs> I think she just like she, oh, she was met, looking. she met a bunch of people mm-hmm. and she, you know and uh, I think I was probably less and what do you ridiculous. do for that uh, for her? Uh, the same same things, you know. Just like
0: you look at look ahead at the new record, you see where she's at, and
2: yeah, just trying to like with her, it's been a lot of strategy of like, okay, she she was her record was so big, like how do we roll this out? How do yeah. we start it? You know, what festival should we play? How do we position her on the bill to, to
0: make the next record same level? Yeah, right, exactly. And with Courtney, I know you did a record that you were very hands on with.
2: So with Courtney, uh, Courtney said. Courtney was, is always and will always be her own yeah. category. Yeah. So with Courtney, my friend Michael Beinhorn, who I told you about, is a producer. Is yeah. A, he's a genius producer. Yeah. He called me up and he said, you know, can you help Courtney? Yeah. And I was I was like, I don't know. Like, let me meet her. And she was <laughs> in, like, pretty bad shape. Right. And, uh, and we've become very friendly because like you and I she grew up in the 80s in that time. Yeah. She, like she was dancing at Jumbo's clown room. Right. And playing, you know, hanging out with those bands. Like Celebrity Skin the whole album came from Celebrity Skin, a band that I used to play with when I was in Electric Angels. <laughs> yeah. So we have like a real common thread and she's right. super into music. Yeah. And and I think she likes the f- that I'm successful and so I don't need her, I'm not like a hanger on with her. Yeah. So it's, we've been doing, we've been working on a book, which I think is going to be really good. Uh huh. And, uh, and I, you know, I'd love to make another record with her because she's. What in, was that last one that you did with her? Uh, Nobody's Daughter. Yeah. Yeah. You like she, that record? I do. She wasn't in, she wasn't in retrospect. Yeah. I'm glad we made it because it was, uh, because she had been trying to make it for 8 years and mm-hmm. it just getting it finished was an accomplishment but she wasn't in the right place. Yeah. I think she's in she's in a much better place now. She's she's awesome now. There's like good Courtney is is awesome and bad Courtney is like the worst person alive. So now that she's good Courtney, she's what you signed up for.
0: Now getting more up to date, uh, the last time we were out of touch for a while yeah, a little health crisis. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, what what
2: happened? Uh, you know, it felt like a giant was standing on my shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, you know, I was like, I think I I had never been in the hospital, not since I was born. Yeah. So it's like I think I need to go to the hospital. I go to the hospital, and they're like, I think you might be having a heart attack. Holy shit! <laughs> so, it was like a minor artery was blocked, so it wasn't like a right. triple bypass surgery or anything. But, you know, so they, they put you out. It wasn't
0: pain, it was pressure? Yeah. Weird. It's
2: like crazy pressure. Weird. And so they put you out, and uh, it's really an interesting experience. Because they gave me, I think it's nitroglycerin, maybe? Mm-hmm. And you just pass out immediately. And you're sort of awake, but not really. And so people are yelling. I'm and like I'm a like, roofie. Yeah, I'm like... <laughs> Am I dead? Like, people are yelling around me, like, maybe I'm dying. And then you start thinking about things like, you know, like, w- what's going to happen to my air miles? <laughs> you know, and you just go through all these like strange thoughts. Yeah. It's really like an interesting. Not, process. None of them
0: were like life flashing before your eyes. Did I do what I set out to do? None of that. It's like air miles or. I had. Who's going to feed the dog? Minutia. Yeah. yeah.
2: It was all that kind of stuff. Huh. And it. And what you realize is like so it's, it's you not your around life around that flashes
0: it. before your eyes it's like what you should what you have to do tomorrow. Yeah. Who's well that's do the thing that? I
2: was like oh, shit I hope I can get out of here tomorrow cuz like C is doing a TV in LA <laughs> right. I need to be there that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Definitely all that.
0: Were you afraid?
2: Uh probably.
0: Yeah. So so they what did they do put a stint in?
2: Put a stint in, yeah. yeah. I was there for a couple of days. I definitely didn't like being in there, and so when I got out, I started reading about stuff. And actually, because
0: uh, per- you're a vegetarian, lifelong vegetarian, yeah, I was a lifelong
2: vegetarian. Yeah. So my friend Russ Irwin, mm-hmm. who plays keyboards in Aerosmith, it's a great guy. He said, "Oh, my brother had that. He's like, you got to become a vegan." He's got, you gotta read this guy Dean Ornish's book and you gotta read I know read, Dean Ornish this guy Caldwell Esselstyn read these books and I started reading and I realized that what happens when you're a vegetarian and not a vegan Yeah is you overconfident. Compensate by eating too much dairy, yeah. too many carbs, yeah. too much sugar. Yeah, it's all the things that lead to heart disease. Interesting. So yeah, so I just switched to being a vegan. It's been amazing. You look great. Oh, thanks. Took yeah. off some
0: weight. Yeah. You exercising now? Yeah,
2: exercise. Added exercise. stopped dairy, and it's it's been great. And like, I don't think everyone needs to do that, right? But if you're if if you're unhealthy. You should do that because those are the. Th- it's very obvious. Like when I go to my doctor for the checkup every six months, you go to the heart specialist. He's like, "You should just be a poster boy. Whatever you're doing, like every all the cholesterol and all of the problems that you had when you came in are all gone." Yeah, and it's it's because like when you're a vegetarian, you overdo those things. You right. just do. Cause, because you're not cheese, eating correctly. Yeah, right. cheese. Yeah, and, not, I would, yeah and sugar. And beans. Carbs, yeah. like pasta. And, but you, you do know. a little pasta. I do a little, but a very little.
0: Yeah, and you're, you've been with re- Renee since I've known you, so that's good.
2: Yeah, she's the best.
0: Yeah, and he, like, well, I'm, I'm proud of you, man. It's very impressive.
2: Yeah, man, I'm, I'm very proud of you.
0: You're relieved.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's you know what it is. I remember that
0: when I saw you and I finally kind of got it, like when the, the show, this show, yeah. started to get successful, you're like, You did it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know what it is? It's well, y- you know, like how I knew it was successful is, is I would be places, yeah, you know, like I rem the, the, the really like there's always like that moment, the apex, like the, the, the point of inflection where so I'm, I'm meeting with the head of Warner UK and I'm sitting in the waiting office and his assistant comes out and she's yeah. like. Are you the John Daniel that knows Mark Maron? It's <laughs> <was> like wow. <laughs> yeah. Some, sometimes I'll listen to 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 you, and uh, and you'll be talking to a band about me, and I'll be like, "Hey, I'm right here. What's going on?" <laughs> no, you know what? Like you know what? Uh, you know, like we were saying before, it's like having your friends be successful is awesome. Yeah. Like. So many of our, you know, the bands, but also like the producers and things, they're all fans of, of you. And what what's what's great about the way you did it is, and it's very punk rock, mm-hmm. is it's like, to be successful, you can do it by any means necessary or on your own terms, right? right. And you did it on your own terms. And that's like that's punk rock
0: yeah yeah it was not by any means necessary it was like this is a hail mary pass
2: yeah, <laughs> that's like, what's so awesome eh, though eh, eh, it is it's like it was a hail mary i don't pass. know anything about
0: that any means necessary <laughs> business <Yeah. laughs> uh it, it got close well thanks for talking man all right it's yeah, great to see you to and, and send me that record all right
2: all
0: right, <laughs> all right. good that was great uh, it's great. You just—it's great that you can, if you—if you're hung in there, that you know, you just witness me catching up with an old buddy, and also learning things about him I've never known after knowing him for years. And we used to talk all the time, but then I started to realize, back in the day, I did most of the talking. That guy was at my my first wedding. Anyways, hope you liked that. Thanks for listening. Go to WTFPod.com for all your WTF Pod needs. The tour dates upcoming and whatnot, Uh, no guitar. I'm in a hotel room. I'm in Tallahassee. I'm leaving Tallahassee. Enjoy your day as, uh, as best you can. Boomer
1: lives!